everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Thank you, Pastor Jason. Yeah, how exciting was that? 400 plus people in and out of the community center uh, yesterday. How incredible is that? That's amazing, yeah. And so we... Uh, Pastor Jason did all the work. We got rid of all the pews out of there. And I know for some of you, that's horrifying. But for us, that's exciting because uh, we've just created a, uh, just such a, a bigger space uh, for more people to be able to come in and out of uh, that community center. And uh, he shared with me, I don't know if you already shared it. I hope, hope you didn't. But um, he shared how there was a, a guy that was there that said, hey, I'm in the, new to the community. And, and uh, I'm, you know, this is a church and I'm, I'm looking for a church. And so Pastor Jason invited them to church, and that, that's what it's all about, right? Uh, it's just making connections with people. Our, our goal is to use that community center uh, to get people to Jesus. That's the, that's the goal. That's the plan. And so um, also just another, some more exciting news. Um, we are um, partnering with a um, Hispanic church. Uh, all Spanish-speaking church, and they are um, starting their church service here in this building on next Sunday night, next Sunday night. So how cool is that? And so they came to us, yeah, they came to us, uh, Pastor Carlos and his wife Ismi. Uh, That's actually not her name, but that's the only way that I knew how to say her name. Um, So she was cool with that. So she just says, yeah, call me Ismi, that's fine. And so uh, Pastor Carlos and his wife Ismi, uh, they they were meeting in their home, um, and they were outgrowing their home. And so they came to us, and they said, we need some space. And I'm thinking to myself, we have a lot of space. We have two buildings uh, with lots of different rooms. And so they're starting uh, their church service next Sunday night. And so you're invited to come. They, want, they invited me to come. Uh, they're going to have a, a translator for me uh, there, uh, obviously. Uh, and so um, they invited me to come and, and, and just kind of open their you know, prayer and this and that. So they invited you to come as well. So if you want to come and, uh, next Sunday night at 5 o'clock, I uh, invite you to do that. Uh, all also, also, uh, so man, hundreds of people in and th- out of the community center yesterday. Uh, a, a Hispanic-speaking, uh, Spanish-speaking church next Sunday, starting next Sunday. Um, there was a teacher um, that uh, uh, works across the street from the community center. There's a school, elementary school, Mary Helen Guest Elementary School. There's a teacher that approached us and said, uh, "I was looking to do some uh, kids exercise program, um, and so I, we saw that you ha- are having a community center. Do you mind if we use some of the space uh, for a kids exercise program?" I said, "Absolutely, absolutely." So she's starting um, a kids uh, a- exercise program. The teachers there are starting to, to uh, revamp re-amp their tutoring time, so they do extra tutoring. So they're going to use the building for that. Praise God, right? How exciting, yeah. This is, this, this is just <clears throat> what we are praying for. This is what we've been talking about, and we're excited uh, what God's going to do, and how he's going to continue to work. And God is really just, he's just kind of opening the doors for these things, and, and we're just going 
cool. Let's, let's go. Let's go. Uh, so it's good to see you. Uh, thanks, thanks for being here. As uh, Pastor Jason mentioned, we're, we're talking about revelation over resolution, right? It's now, what, January uh, 30th, and if you had a resolution, you're starting to wane, aren't you? Let's be honest. You're going, oh, man, I'm okay, I, did, I was good for 30 days, you know, oh, man, like, you know, and we all, all are starting, and, and it's, it's, the thing is, listen, if, you're, if you have a resolution, Keep going, like keep going. You can do it. You can do it. I'll, I'll inspire you, you know, to keep going. But listen, um, what we need, what we need is we need a revelation. That's it. What's it? We really need. We need a revelation. What is that? It's just a revealing of truth. Uh, a resolution, as you probably already are experiencing, they don't last. They don't really last very long. Um, but what we need is a revelation because that lasts. That makes a difference. That changes things, a, a revelation that does. It, it, it not only changes your heart, uh, but it changes your surroundings. It changes the people around you. Uh, it changes things. I'm telling you, it makes a big difference, and that's what we need. So we've been looking at um, some different churches. We looked at a church in Ephesus. I, go, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. They were a church. We know a lot about them, and we know a lot about their origin story. You can read about it in Acts 19 and 20, um, but they lost their first love. They, they lost their first love. They lost how important it is that what this is about, if you're a Jesus follower, that what this is about is that this is about loving God and loving people. Loving God and loving people. Can we just make it that simple? Let's just be a church that just makes it that simple. We just wanna be a church that loves God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love people. And Jesus said, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you you. When was the last time you loved somebody just like Jesus loved you? And Jesus even took it up a notch because the the original commandment was love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, you love people the way that you want to be loved. You love people in the same way that you love yourself. You love people in that same way. Let's not lose our first love. And like what Pastor Jason mentioned last week, let's just be faithful. Like, life is hard. Hello? Life is hard. Like, we go through it. There's stuff that we deal with. It's, it's challenging. It's, it's difficult. And, and, the, and the things that, the temptations that we have and the, and, and the, the out, outside experiences that we have, we just came out of our control. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. So this week, we're going to look at a church um, in Pergamum. <clears throat> Pergamum. Um, Ron, if you could turn me down just a slight bit. I'm pretty hot right now. Amp, amped up. I, I don't need any help. I don't need any help from the sound system. This is the angel of the church in Pergamum, right? And so um, Pergamum was a church that was um, a compromising church. They were a compromising church. They, that was kind of what they're, uh, as, as Jesus is telling John to write this letter uh, to this local church, which, which by the way, I, I hope you know that the God of the universe, the creator and the one that holds it all together, loves his local churches. I, you know what helps me sleep at night? Is that God loves Market Street church. And the reason
necessary. It is necessary. For example, um, when Katie and I first got married, she came from a household of drinking skim milk. Is there any skim milk drinkers in the house? I don't know how you can do that. It's white water. It's white water is what it is. Like she came from a skim milk drinking household. I came from a whole milk drinking household. Like the thicker, the better, right, for me, right? Like, the, like if it was like glue, I was like, this is for me, right? This is good stuff. And so you got to imagine, now we've got to come to a compromise. So over the last, I don't know, almost 20 years, We've now compromised. We don't do skim milk, and we don't do whole milk. We do 2%, right? We, have, we found it. We found the compromise, right? And so that, that's the way it goes. Um, one of the other things, too, that we like to do together is we like to go biking, okay? Now, I get, when it comes to recreational activities and sports, I get a little competitive, okay? I get a little excited and amped up, okay? And so if you haven't already realized that about me. And so when her and I go biking together, I sometimes, you know, get lost in winning, if we're honest, and I get ahead of her. And, and she's trying to keep up the best as she possibly can. And, and it doesn't really, it's not really fair because I have like a road bike and she has a, a mountain bike. And so they, 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 just don't, they just don't go at the same speeds. And so she, we had to come to a compromise. Like I had to slow down and she needed to speed up a little bit, you know, right? It, it was just this, we had to come to these compromises, okay? And so, and then, you know, sure, certainly in your marriage, you know, finances, right? You have to come to, you know, uh, finances, you know? And so she said, when we got married, she says, what's yours is mine, and what's mine is mine. Like, that's what she that's what she said. So we, we found some comment. But when it comes to marriage and, and politics or any relationships or even any businesses, compromising is a necessity. Wouldn't you say? Compromising is important. But when it comes to our moral or our spiritual lives, compromising isn't good. Right? In marriage... It's good. You need to do it. You need to find some compromises. But when it comes to being the church, being the bride of Christ, and Jesus is the groom, compromising is not good. And they were known as a compromising kind of church. And so it says this in Revelation 2.12. It says, And the angel of the church in Pergamum, meaning married, write, The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. Now, this is important, and there's a reason why Jesus introduced himself or revealed his identity as the one who has the two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. As a matter of fact, when John, in, in, in the first chapter of Revelation, when John saw a, a vision or an image of, of Jesus, glorified Jesus in all of his might and in all of his power, it says that he saw out, coming out of his mouth a two-edged or a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And the picture is important. The picture is important. It was important for the people in Pergamum, and it's important to us 
here in our community. It's important. What does the two-edged sword represent? Well, if we look at Hebrews 4.12, it it tells us. It says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so the Hebrew writer says, hey, listen, the word of God is like, it's like a two-edged sword. And a two-edged sword is sharp. It penetrates as far as soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's, the, it's living and it's active. The, the word of God that we have in our hands, it's, it's living and it's active. It's what we have. And so Jesus is going, listen, I want you to know, I want you to know that I am the word, right? When John wrote his gospel, what did he say? In the beginning was the word, right? In the beginning was the word. Jesus is the word. And he says, listen, what is coming out of my mouth is this two-edged sword. It's living And it's active. It is used to judge the intentions of our heart. It's meant, James describes it like the word of God. James describes it like a mirror. And a mirror shows us some things that we need to know. Am I right? When you woke up this morning, you looked in the mirror and you you thought to yourself, I need some things to work on, right? And so that's what the word of God does. It shows us some things about what's going on in our hearts. It it judges the thoughts of our life. It judges the intentions of our hearts. That's what the word of God does. Now, this is also important because here's why. Pergamum was a very, very religious city. It was very religious, what I mean by that was this. They had a temple. They had idols everywhere that you looked. If you walked into the city of Pergamum at, at that time, you would walk in and you would see a temple dedicated to Athena, the goddess of wisdom and war. And then you would walk a little further and you would see a temple that almost looked like a throne dedicated and where people would come and they would worship the god Zeus. And then they would, you, would, uh, they, you would walk a little further and, and you would see a temple dedicated to Diocletian, who was, the, who was the goat god of wine. And then you would go a little further and you would see all these other different idols and d- different gods. Um, there, there was this idol, there was this god that was dedicated that they, they, they would go and worship. And he was the god of healing or the god of, of medical. And I know I'm going to butcher, butcher the God's name, but Asclepius or something along those lines, Asclepius. And so he was the God of healing. And in that temple, you know what they would do in that temple? His, it's, his insignia was, if you, you've, you've probably seen this before, his insignia was a rod with a snake wrapped around it. If, there, if you're a Blue Cross Blue Shield member, insurance company member, you see that rod with that snake. That was the Greek god of healing or the Greek god of medical. And anytime you see medical and you see that rod with the snake around it, that's where it originated from. That's where it derived from. And you know what they would do? They would have in, in his temple, they would have snakes slithering around in that temple. And they wouldn't be poisonous snakes. And people would go in there 
And people would lay down if they had something that they needed to be healed. They would lay down and they would hope that a snake would slither up to them. They would hope that a snake would crawl over them. Because they thought, if that happened, then I would be healed. This is what's going on in that city of Pergamum. As a matter of fact, Roman Empire, the Roman Empire, called Pergamum the greatest city in the world. And the reason why they called Pergamum the greatest city in the world was because they also dedicated a temple to Caesar Augustus. That they viewed Caesar Augustus, their emperor, the Roman emperor, they viewed him as a deity and they worshipped him. So as you can imagine, Rome thought this is a great city. This is a great city. And, and, am I boring you with these facts of Pergamum? I hope not. And Pergamum, Pergamum was, had the second largest library, the second largest library in the world, next to uh, Alexandria, who had the largest library. They had the second largest. They had over 200,000 books in Pergamum there in that, in that city where they loved their literature, they loved their reading, and they loved their books. Now, why is all of that important? All of that is important because when Jesus identified himself to that church, he reminded them of what was the most important library that they had. And it wasn't the library, the second largest library in Pergamum. It was the word of God. You know that, right? The word of God is the most important library that we have. It's not a book. It's a collection of books. It's a library. And, and Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to know, I want you to know that what is most important is the two-edged sword. The word of God is living and it's active and we're gonna need it. We're going to need it because we may not worship the God of Zeus and we may not worship the goddess of Athena, but we live in a world where we worship lots of other things other than Jesus. True? And what keeps us on the right track is knowing that we can be easily manipulated and we can be easily seduced by the work of the enemy because it's, that's exactly what he wants to do. This was a church. Now, look, look what it says about them. Look what it says about them. Um, Revelation 2, 13. Look what, it, look what Jesus says. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. What? And you hold firmly to my name and did not deny my faith even the days of Antipas, my, faith, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Now, here's Jesus saying about the city. This is where Satan's throne is. With all the worship of all the false gods and all the deities and all the things that are not really God's at all, that people are coming and thinking that they're gonna find healing, 
from a snake that slithers up against them, these people have lost their way. And what they need more than anything else, not a library of 200,000 different books, but they need a library called the Word of God, and that's what you and I need. In order for us, in order for us to know that we can, with that, hold firmly to the name of Jesus and not deny our faith or his faith, just like Antipas did, that he was his witness and he was his faithful one. Remember last week we talked about what does it look like? What is God looking for? God is looking for people to be faithful. When it's all said and done, at the end of the day, when we stand before the Almighty, he's going to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what he's going to say. Or he's going to say, you lazy, wicked slave, right? Like one or the other. And he's saying, listen, I want you to be faithful. I want you to be like Antipas. I want you to be like Antipas. I want you to hold firmly. I want you to, you know, not to deny faith. I want you to be faithful. I want you to be a witness, even to the point of death. That's what I want you to be. You know the name Antipas? The name Antipas means against all, against all. Now, you know what Christians are good at? Christians are good at letting everybody know what they're against. We write it all on our social media. We talk about it with people over the phone. We text. We letting people. All, all we like to do is talk about what we're against. Listen, let's be a people that only talk about what we're for and not what we're always against. Now, so in this sense, we want to be an Antipas, but Antipas was about, he was really just about what he was for. He was for Jesus in the name of Jesus. And he wanted everybody to know about the name of Jesus. He didn't say, I, he didn't tell people, he said, listen, don't go worship Zeus. Don't go worship Diocletian. Don't go worship Caesar Augustus. Don't go worship, you know, Athena. Don't, don't do that. Don't do it. Don't compromise. Listen, listen, the library that you need is the library of the word of God. Listen, he told people what he was for, not what he was against. But when it comes to allowing compromise into our life, we need to be against that. We need to be against that. We need to say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let any kind of compromise into my faith. He held, he held firmly to the faith, and he feared the two-edged sword more than the throne of Satan. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm holding firm to my faith. I'm holding firm to my faith, regardless of what happens to me, regardless of what people say about me or think about me or what people do to me, because I fear the one that has a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth more than I fear that throne in this city called the throne of Satan. That's faithfulness. That's faithfulness. And you know what he did? what we all need to do? He put on the armor of God before he bowed down to any Roman soldier with his armor. 
As the Apostle Paul describes what it looks like to put on the armor of God, he was thinking about Rome, and he was thinking about a Roman soldier. And here's what the Apostle Paul says, and this is important for all of us. Stand firm. What did, what did Antipas do? What did many in the church of Pergamum do? They stood firm. No, I'm not going to go worship that. No, I'm not going to make that more important. No, I'm not going to make that a priority. No, I'm not going to let that into my life. He stood firm. And we need to stand firm. And how we stand firm is well, we got we to gotta arm ourselves. Come on, right? I mean, I don't know what Jesus would say about Walled Lake, but like to say that your city is where the throne of Satan is, where Satan dwells, you're telling me, come on, like you and I have to get up every single day and put on our armor. Remember, we are in a spiritual warfare. We don't battle against flesh and blood. You are battling against powers and principalities and in darkness and world for, spiritual forces of this world. We need to wake up to that reality. We only are seeing the physical, but you need to pull the curtain away and see what's actually going on. There is an enemy who wants to destroy you, your family, your kids, your well-being, your purpose, his plan for you. It's real. It's real. Come on, if you're listening online, it's real. Stand firm. Put on the armor of God. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Strap on the shoes of your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all that, just like a Roman soldier, take up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Come on, he's, he's shooting these lies. He's a, he's a deceiver. He's a liar. He, he wants you to believe things about God that aren't true, and he wants, you, he, he wants you to believe things about you that aren't true. And we gotta pick up that shield of faithfulness. And we gotta block those flaming arrows that the evil one is shooting into our thought life. And eventually it goes into our hearts. And eventually it comes out of our mouths. Are you with me? And we gotta hold that shield. And then he says, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The word of God, the double-edged sword of God that we need because we're living in a time where the enemy is wanting to deceive. Listen, listen, here's, here's the thing. If the enemy can't scare you by being a roaring lion, then he will try to deceive you like the serpent that he is. He, he, if he can't like try to scare you into stop following Jesus, what he's been doing and what he mostly do, does in Western culture, what he mostly does in the American church is that he tries to deceive us by seducing us to compromise our faith. 
And this is what happened to the church in Pergamum. Look what he says. Revelation 2.14. But I have a few things against you. But I have a few things against you. Because you have some, some, okay? Not everyone. There were still Antipases. Is that, that sounded weird. There were still people like Antipas that was in the church that were faithful. And there were people that were still in that church. They were faithful. They, were, they wanted to honor God. They wanted to live according to the word of God. They put on the armor of God. They were still faithful, but there were some. There were some. And even when there was some, God still cared. Are you with me? Even if there was, this is so important, even if the majority of the church said, I'm putting on the armor of God, I'm making the word of God a priority, but there were some who didn't. And Jesus still wanted to make sure that that church understood that you're not getting all that you can get from me as a church if there are some who are compromising their faith. What do they do? Well, he explains it to them this way. And this is essentially a story about spiritual compromise. It's a story about it. He says, I have a few things against you because you have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. To What do they do? to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. So you too, verse 15, so you too have some who in the same way hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Now, here's what he's saying to them. He's reminding those people, and he's reminding not everybody, but some, who were starting to allow some compromise into their church and into their life personally. He was reminding them when there was a prophet by the name of Balaam, who was a true prophet of God. But Balaam could be described in this way. Balaam was a prophet for profit. Balaam was a prophet for profit. In other words, Balaam could be bought. He could be bought. Balaam, King Balak, comes to Balaam and says, hey, listen, you have some real gifts. You have some great skills. I will give you all the wealth and riches and prosperity that you want if you in turn curse the people of God. And so Balaam goes, okay, sure. He was a prophet for profit. And he said, okay, all right. And so he starts to try. Now, this is, this is found in Numbers uh, 25. And I know, I know. By the time you, you do your yearly, daily devotions, right, and you can get through Genesis, and you're like, oh, that was good. That was good. I like Genesis. And then you get through Exodus, and you're like, oh, okay. And then, you hit, and then you hit Leviticus, and you're like, I'm out. I'm going to the New Testament. <laughs> is this true? It, I too, too. I'm like, Leviticus, oh gosh, oh, why, God, just give me some John. Give me some Philippians. Well, if you get through Leviticus, you get to Numbers. And there's a story is found in Numbers where Balaam compromised his gift. 
He compromised his faith. And, and it's, the story's so cool because Balaam tries to speak curses, but you know what God does? God only lets him speak blessing. <laughs> like he couldn't do it. Like he tries to curse the people of God, but only blessing was coming out of them. You know why? It's because the people of Israel at that time, they weren't doing anything wrong. And so God says, listen, my word is true. My word is true. And if my people are following my commandments, I'm gonna bless them. If they don't follow the commandments of my word, then I will curse them. But at that time, at that time, he wouldn't, God wouldn't let Balaam curse them because God this is important because God stays true to his word. Always, always. And Balaam couldn't do it. And so you know what Balaam does? You, you can read, if you continue, to, if you can get through it, you read to Numbers 31. And you know what you'll find in Numbers 31? Numbers 31 is when Balaam goes back to King Balak. Which, by the way, Balak was so mad. He's like, I paid you to curse them and you bless them. No deal, no deal, no deal. And so Balaam realizes, wait a second, wait a second. If I, I can do this, because here's what I know about God's people. He goes back to King Balak and says, listen, I may not be able to curse God's people, but I'm t here's what I know. If you can't beat them, join them. If you can't beat them, join them. And so you know what King Balak did? King Balak positioned himself in other nations around the nation of Israel, around the people of God. And you know what happened to the people of God? They were seduced by their women. So what happens. You should read the Bible. It's interesting. <laughs> it really is. They were seduced because you know what the enemy will do. If he can't scare you like a roaring lion, he'll seduce you like a deceiving snake. And if we find ourselves in a position where we're being seduced and manipulated by the things of this world, ultimately, it will destroy us. And as a result of that, if you read the story, as a result of that, 24,000 people died because they were seduced by the enemy. And it didn't happen because Balaam tried to curse them. It happened because Balak said, if I can't beat them, I'll join them and I'll destroy them internally and they'll implode. And that's what happens to spiritual compromise. Eventually, it will destroy us from the inside out. So for some in Pergamum, for some in Pergamum, it canceled the tribulations, which that will happen. Why? Because if the enemy has already defeated you, he doesn't have to keep messing with you. 
If we've allowed compromise in our life, the enemy's not going to mess with you. It's only when we try to live out the word of God and live out the will of God and live out the purposes of God. It's only when we put on the armor of God that the enemy is going to try to bring about and come in at you like a roaring lion. And they, they got their tribulations canceled. So that could happen for you. But you know what happened? It cost them their testimony. It cost them their testimony. There was an Indian Hindu. Here's what he said about the American church. Are you ready? This is so good. Don't persecute the Christians or they will become strong and spread. Instead, wherever you find Christians grouped together, offer streaming services, social media, bars, nightclubs, legalized drugs, and casinos, and they will destroy themselves. Hello? He's right. And listen, I mean, these are like the big ones, right? And we get like caught up in Netflix and a good show. Like, I, I understand all that, but like when it's taken the place of your time with Jesus, we've got a problem. There's a compromising problem, right? When our social media, when our social media, again, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm loving this soapbox, but I need to get off of it sometimes. With our social media, we're just being mean and unkind and judgy and against everything, we're compromising. Like when we're gossiping, when we're talking about so-and-so behind their back and to so-and-so, and we're, you know, guising it in as a prayer request and all these things. Well, I know your games. I know us pastors, we, we are, we're with it. When we're doing it, when we're, when we're, you know, jealous or a bitterness or envy, or if we can't forgive, like, come on, come on. If you can't forgive somebody that, that has hurt you or wronged you, you know what that is? It's compromise. Yeah, come on, we know the social media, the bars, the nightclubs, the legalized drugs, the casinos. I mean, come on, that's a no-brainer. But it's those subtle things. It's those subtle things that we allow into our life of compromise. Here's what, here's what Paul says about it. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. That's why Jesus goes, listen, it's not everybody in the church of Pergamum. It's some. It's some. It's some. A little leaven affects the whole lump. You and I are a part of this local body. Let's continue to be faithful, to stand firm in our faith. Make the word of God the double-edged sword. Fear him more than you fear anything or anyone else. See, spiritual compromise, spiritual compromise isn't choosing other gods to worship instead of Jesus. It's trying to include other gods along with our worship of Jesus, right? So it's, it's not about Jesus 
It's about Jesus only. It's not Jesus. And oftentimes we, it's about, oh, I love Jesus. I go to church. I, I still read my Bible. I pray and all that. Jesus is all you need. It's all we need. And we don't need anything else other than Jesus. That's all we need. He's everything that we need. He's our provider. He's the one that's going to get you through every single day. He's all. So it's not about well, Jesus, but and I need this drug. Or Jesus, and I need this relationship. Or Jesus, and I need this whatever thing. All of us, all of us oftentimes compromise. It's Jesus and. No, no, no. It should be Jesus only. Are you with me? Jesus only is what you need. You want God's blessing? You want God's goodness? You want God's redeeming story to become real and true? You want to be used by God? Find your purpose? Know God's will? Understand? Listen, it's Jesus only. It's not Jesus and that relationship. It's not Jesus and that material thing. Jesus only is what we need. For us, it's Jesus on the throne. It's Jesus. When Jesus said, I know where you dwell, it's where Satan's throne is. There's only room. There's only room for one on the throne of your heart. And Jesus won't fight you over the spot. If we try to put something else on that throne, Jesus will just, okay. If that's how you want to live your life, if that's how you think you're going to find fulfillment and meaning and satisfaction in this world, if that's what you want to do, go for it. Try it. It will never work. You'll never be fulfilled. You'll never be satisfied. You'll never know the purposes and the plan that God wants to do in and through you. It's Jesus only on his throne. It's his. Nothing else. No one else. No one else. So let's not compromise. Let's not let anything else take the place of the one who put you in a position that one day we're stepping to eternity. <laughs> and you know what he says? He says that we get to sit on his throne with him. Woo! What a day. What a day. What a day. So, just like any time, anything where we're getting off track where we've allowed compromise God is a God of second chances he's not done with you he's not through with you he wants to use you so what do we got to do we got to repent we got to repent we got to repent we got to go like we talked about two weeks ago <sighs> I'm going in the wrong direction. I need to turn around. I've got to turn it around. I've got to turn it around. That's repent. Change direction. It's okay. You drove too far. You missed your turn. Stop and turn back. Repent. Repent. That's what we got to do. It's okay. We can do that right here and now.
If we don't, you know what he's saying? I will wage war against them with the sword of my mouth. What does that mean? He's coming down from heaven. He's going to slice you up. No, I'm just kidding. You better repent. You better fear that one with the double-edged sword. No. He's saying that if we don't, that we deal with the consequences of what comes with not doing the word of God. In other words, things like you reap what you sow. It's here. You reap what you sow. So Jesus is going, I don't want you to compromise anymore because you're sowing into something that eventually you're going to reap and it's going to be a very, very painful. That even though it's a little seed, it's still a seed of compromise. Rip it out. Pull it out. Father, you come to us with the two-edged sword, the living and active word of God that judges our thought life and our intentions of our hearts. And it reveals to us, to some of us, some areas in our life that we've, we've compromised on. We've gone against your will. We haven't put on your armor. And we've just compromised our faith. And that may not be everybody here, but that may be some here, God. And I pray, Lord, that they know that you're a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances, that you're a God that any time that we stop and say, I'm not going down that road anymore. I'm not going down that path anymore. I'm not going to be, it's not going to be Jesus and it's going to be Jesus only. God, I just pray that we're a people, that we're a church that is Jesus only, only, only. And we're not going to plant the seed of compromise into our lives to be a detriment to the whole, the whole harvest, the whole lump. So Father, help us, help us, help us. I pray this in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, real quick, real quick. Kathy, Kathy is going to have a procedure uh, tomorrow. And so we're going to pray for Kathy. I see Marlene, you're here. Hello, Marlene. Marlene is recovering. And, and, and so we're, let's just pray for Kathy and, and Marlene. God, God, Lord, I just pray for Kathy, Marlene. God, as they're recovering, as they're going through a procedure, God, I just pray, Lord, that you just help them, be with them. You're the great physician. God, you're the one that is deciding and dictating and in control of all these great medical professionals and, and, and those that do these procedures. God, it's you, guide their hands, steady them, work with them. God, we put you first in everything. We acknowledge you in all things. God, be with them, heal them, do what only you can do. You're the great physician. You're the healer of everything. So Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your love and kindness. Pray for Kathy, for Marlene, in Jesus' name, amen. Love you all. See you next Sunday.